I think one thing that people need to keep in mind is you have to be careful not to cannibalize your own brand. You can't have this licensing agreement and go all in on their brand and then forget about your own. Is your end game to get a licensing deal? Well, we got your back. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your business? Then welcome to Wingnut Social, helping home professionals, industry influencers, and creatives accelerate their business through an improved social media presence by translating digital influence into physical success. Whether your focus is interior design, travel and tourism, or hospitality, this is your social media tightly fastened. Now welcome the hosts of Wingnut Social, Darla Powell and Natalie Graff. Hey there, welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I'm your host, the Grand High Poobah of all things Wingnut Darla, Jethro Powell, and I'm joined by Natalie Nine Lives Graf. Natalie, how the hell are you? Nine lives, huh? I'm alive. I'm very thankful that you're alive. I learned something about myself. Yeah, what is that? That you have nine lives or you technically have eight now? And for you guys listening before we get into the show, Natalie and I had a big scare recently. I was sitting here in the office doing a Wingnut Social sales call on a Zoom meeting. And my phone started blowing up, but of course I'm in a meeting, so I'm just, oh, I'll get to those later. And then, lo and behold, a truck full of four firefighters are at my gate saying, um, Natalie's just been rushed to the hospital. (laughs) And they had such a dour look on their faces. I was like, um, okay, what is going on here? (laughs) Drove 90 miles an hour to the hospital. Natalie, what the hell happened? Well, it turns out that I'm allergic to the contrast that they used for a MRI that I was going to have to see if I had a brain. I do have a brain. Oh, well, and how did I, they know? Well, <laughs> because I made it through some of it, and then okay. they hit me with the contrast, and I don't remember much after that. I remember basically some of my guys yelling at me to breathe. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I remember one of the um, captains that I've known since the beginning of my career looking at me, talking to me. I remember the look on her face. I'll never forget it. have no idea what she was saying. I remember being in the trauma room where they're cutting my clothes off and uh, sticking me everywhere. And the doctor saying, hey, we're going to tuber, we're going to tuber. So You mean intubate? Intubate, yes. Oh, Lord. Intubate me. So I am very lucky to be alive. I can never have that contrast again. I would um, say not. Pretty much went into respiratory failure and I was pretty close. So this is not a mulligan. We're not going to do this over. I'm not going to do this over. I woke up with patches on. If anybody doesn't know what patches are, that's where they put one on the left side of your chest, one smack in the middle, and they hook you up and shock the crap out of you if you That's need That's an it. AED situation. Did they shock you? No, No, right? they never had to Thank shock goodness. me. My heart ended up going back into the correct rhythm. I have absolutely no physical damage, no cardiac damage, Thank no God. anything, no respiratory, no whatever. And uh, I have a wonderful support system to get through the uh, almost dying part. <laughs> Well, yeah. And I remember asking you, did you see a light at the end of the tunnel or anything like that? So nothing that cool. No, no lights. But I definitely, when they tell us that your patients can hear you, we can hear you. I remember bits and pieces. I've talked to everybody that was there on scene that I know that are my friends and my coworkers. I pretty much scared the crap out of them and you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, Am I an afterthought in that? No, but I mean, that's just so funny. One of them told me, well, I learned something about myself. I walked in, I realized it was you not breathing on the floor. And then she said, I had no idea who you were. So she flipped that switch, that little switch that when you go into work mode. 
She disconnected so she could do her job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something if you first responders out there listening, you kind of know that is a, I call it the gear that you just kind of flip into (laughs) and you get it done. You just get everything done. They pretty much saved my life and the hospital did the rest and I'm here to tell about it. Hallelujah. Well, I'm very thankful that you're still here. Next time, if you have a a near-death experience, can you please have a cool like light at the end of the tunnel or, you know, floating above your body story? Because I'm obsessed with that stuff. I don't have any of that, but I do remember just kind of laying there and looking and seeing the big picture a little bit. There's still pieces I can't piece together, but I do remember you coming in vaguely at the end. <laughs> uh, I do know that the hospital did let you and my mom in, so yeah, that was we, nice. I made that happen. I will tell you this, with this whole COVID and the pandemic, two and a half days alone in the hospital by yourself with no advocate, it sucks. Yeah, that does suck. But what doesn't suck is you're here now getting ready to talk about marketing yourself in order to obtain that licensing situation, which is super... Licensed to be alive right now. Licensed you have, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm I'm not really making any major life changes or decisions in the next three to four weeks. I'm going to just take it easy and take it all in and uh, enjoy some time in the Keys and in the boat and just celebrate the fact that we're here. As our good friend Vanessa Helmick likes to say, you're just going to take a chillaxative. That's right. <laughs> she, she hit me with that one day and I died. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Natalie, I'm so happy that you're back because this podcast would not be the same without you. Not to mention my life would be a little affected. I'm, I'm not yeah, going to lie. You did, you did pack me a care bag. I do have to tell you about my care bag. I got a care bag that you can deliver at the bottom. They go down and get it and bring it up to you. And I'm going through this care bag and I had Hershey chocolates wrapped in a, uh, a little notepad. And on the notepad, it says, I've never been so relieved not to be a millionaire. I love you, Darla, because I have a million dollar life insurance policy. And then I kept digging. I had Ritz crackers in the bag. I kept digging and she snuck Jack Daniels in the bag. <laughs> but I tell you what, that, I didn't touch it. I promise. That was the last thing I wanted at that point. Hey, you know, you almost die. I figure the least of your worries is to have a little nip of Jack Daniels in the hospital. Yeah, but, no, uh, I just had no no desire. But don't worry. The desire's back now, and I'm good to go. <laughs> well, that's right on brand. Whiskey aficionado is definitely what we are. All right, guys. So today we are talking about marketing yourself, if you're an interior designer, to obtain that licensing situation. And our guest today is the wonderful Victoria Larson. Who is Victoria Larson? Maybe some of you are asking. Well, I'm so happy that you did ask because Victoria Larson is a textile and wall covering designer. In 2010, she launched her collection of printed fabric, printed glass cloth, wallpaper, and art. She often collaborates with brands and is currently on her second licensing deal with Stout Brothers. Ooh! When it comes to designing bespoke products, Victoria believes in giving designers exactly the tools they need to create unique projects for their clients. All of her products are crafted by artisans in the USA, nice, and speak to interiors that are classic and modern. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Victoria Larson to the Wingnut Social Podcast. Hey there, Victoria Larson. Welcome to the podcast. How the hell are you? I'm great. Happy to be here. We're happy as hell to have you here, especially after that 15 minutes of hashtag wingnut technical (laughs) difficulty. (laughs) Oh my gosh, my life. I can't even. So today on the show, we're going to talk about how amazing you are. And as far as getting a licensing deal and the marketing around it, I told the audience, but let's just start with telling the listeners a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are now, just in like, say, 200 words or less. (laughs) No pressure. Okay. (laughs) I'm counting. Ready, go. So I started my business about 10 years ago. And 
my undergraduate degree is actually in marketing. Like some of your listeners, I switched businesses and I went back to school for design, which has always been my passion, and quit my well-paying marketing job and started as the lowest of the low in a design firm. What could go wrong? What could possibly (laughs) go wrong? I ended up working later in my career running the interiors division of an architectural firm, just having a ball, doing really great projects. And then I was lucky enough to have twin girls. And since my husband travels for a living, we reckoned that they needed one parent to stay at home. So that was going to be me. There was no work-life balance at that point. It was just self-preservation. So I did a couple of design jobs, but it wasn't really satisfying. It wasn't the same as working on big budget, big firm stuff. Right. So I got back to art. I found my way back to art and started doing some block printing. That was about the same time that digital printing was really coming online. And it made it, for the first time, even possible to think about jumping into the textiles market. Now, did you have a background in art before you got into the marketing situation? I'm a lifelong artist. My degree's in marketing, but I've always dabbled in art. I traveled a lot, so I always took a set of watercolors with me. That's kind of how I sketch, how I think. I was trained to do renderings for design, so that's you know, comes very naturally to me. We've had a, a several guests on the show who had their prior career as marketing. That I find is a very interesting transition and in why, you know, they just the same, they've, you know, the lifelong passion and following it. And they tend to do extraordinarily well with marketing their business, marketing their brands, which is what we are going to dive in here. But I just thought that was uh, super interesting. And the ones that have that experience make it to a successful end game, like with the licensing or the interior design or something, they seem to be more successful in the long run. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. (laughs) Well, that is probably how I sold my husband on this whole idea in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Also marketing and sales. Yeah, I sold Natalie on it too. Actually, I'm not so sure she's sold yet, but (laughs) (laughs) when you first started your career as a designer, Did you have any inclination or any idea that at the end of it, you would want to get a licensing deal? Was that part of your strategy or did that kind of evolve organically? Tell us a little bit about that. So that was a little more organic. About the same time I was starting to launch the print side of things and I was kind of studying different production resources in the States and different ways to print. I was making lots of test prints and so... I would do things with those test prints, like make pillows for my friends and make caftans for my girls to wear. And um, so I kind of stumbled into the first licensing deal. I was introduced to a friend of a friend who commented about the girls' caftans, and she happened to run the U.S. side of a children's swimwear company. And they were interested in having their own custom designs. And I didn't know how to put things into repeat completely yet. Um, I didn't know anything about the production side of actually printing at a mill from a digital file. But I said yes, because it sounded like fun. And I would just figure it out. I love that. Just say yes and figure it out. Yeah, sure, I can <laughs> do that. Say yes. <laughs> now, how the hell do we do it? <laughs> did they help you? Did they walk you through that? Did they take over some of that? Or did you instantly hop on the Googles? Luckily, I'm a lifelong student. There wasn't the whole Google situation, really. When I started all this, I grabbed books. 
I learned whatever I could. There was a little bit online. There wasn't much. And I reached out to as many people as I could who knew anything about this. I just figured it out. Now, luckily, Adobe Illustrator is a vector-based program, and so is AutoCAD. So coming from AutoCAD, from design, it was kind of easy to teach myself Illustrator. Do you have to have that kind of skill in your wheelhouse in order to create things for licensing, do you think? You don't necessarily have to. You have to at least have resources that can. Okay. So, or you have to be working with a brand that does that so they can take over at some point and create that part of it. Okay. So, your first licensing deal with the caftans and the friend that just kind of synchronous right synchronicity that just kind of happened organically how did that end up going did that end up actually getting licensed and going into production and retail yeah so i worked with that swimwear company for about eight years doing one big launch a year and then one mini launch in between and then they finally grew to the point where they brought their own people on board and so they do their own design now but Yeah, that was super successful. And it was really fun for me because designing outside of my brand pushed my creativity because they would come to me with things like, I want alligators on surfboards, you know, or monkeys on bikes, you know, and that's not something that I was putting out in my brand. So is that something you said no to then? No. Okay, good. I was just curious. No, I said, yes, bring on the monkeys. When you decided to go back with your brand and and what you were really about, how hard was it to go ahead and try to pursue a licensing deal then that you didn't fall into? So because that was so easy and successful and fun for me, and I realized I could do both, then it became part of my plan moving forward. So I really did always want to try to have a licensing thing going on in addition to my brand for a couple of reasons. I mean, it's nice to have another income stream. Yeah. Diversification. Diversification. But also as a solopreneur, as we say, you know, I work by myself and it's nice to have that dynamic of working with a team and working with someone else and working in their brand. So you still, you don't have a team of your own yet. I have an assistant. I have me. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a team. <laughs> I'm a team. All the voices in my head are a team. Exactly. <laughs> my dog is in my studio every day. So, Oh, what kind of dog? He's a rescue doodle. Oh, I love that. I want one. Natalie, I want one. I want a rescue. I, I want a doodle dog. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm sorry. That's why my nickname is Wingnut. I see a dog or a squirrel and I'm off topic like that. Okay, so let's talk about marketing. Let's talk about how you have gone about to make your brand more visible to appeal to people who do want to reach out to Victoria Larson for licensing deals for you to create, use your artistic talents to create things for them. What are, do you recommend to the designers listening or to those people listening who are like, you know, that's great. That's well and good. And she's out and she has a licensing deal. But how do I get people to notice me? I mean, we said that the first one they had would just happen to be the networking, the in-person networking, which is a strategy, by the way, people. But how? what would you recommend for them? What advice would you give? So definitely, I would say it is easier now for those of us who are smaller brands, boutique brands, to get a licensing agreement with a bigger brand. You know, it used to be that you had to be a celebrity designer. Yeah. But I think now there's more emphasis on 
the process, on the craft, on the story. And so I think brands are seeing the value in partnering with someone else. Exactly. And I'll tell you, that's something where we've gone from the mega influencers like the Kardashians with their billions of followers to brands wanting to collaborate with people with 10,000 followers, 20,000, 5,000, 1,000 followers, just depending on what niche they're in and what their audience engagement looks like. It's not something where you have to be a huge mega influencer anymore. So piggybacking on that, what is your social media strategy plan? Are you tagging brands? Are you reaching out still in a proactive manner there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the first thing for me is always relationships. I always say I don't sell a product. I create relationships and I strongly believe that. So for me, that's super important. And a lot of that starts with Instagram for me. And I don't have a giant following on Instagram, but I do have conversations and I have created relationships with my people, with the right people, you know, like-minded, similar ideas, that sort of thing. So I think you have to have a good Instagram. I don't think you have to, to have a certain X number of followers, but you also have to be clear about your intention. And if that's something that you're trying to do to attract another company, then make sure that you are using Instagram for your brand story, not your dog photos and your <laughs> vacation pictures. Exactly. I love that you said you create relationships. And truthfully, that is what social media is about. It's not just throwing up a wonky picture and hoping you get likes or followers. I mean, followers are have their own place. They give you gravitas. They let brands to see that you do have you know a fan base out there. But if they're not commenting, liking, and engaging or involved in the conversation with your brand, they're kind of worthless You know, if they're not going to help you with that end goal. So it's better to have have 1,000 dedicated followers and just 10,000 people who are just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I think engagement is so important. And especially for a smaller brand, that is your feedback, you know? So if you use that the right way, you are getting instant feedback on what people want, what they're responding to, what they need, what their pain points are. I'm a big believer in that. But also, I think for somebody who's a designer who wants to do a licensing agreement, start with your existing relationships, you know, your contacts and your vendors. Is there a vendor that you do a lot of custom work with? Look for like-minded brands, not just the design aesthetic, but you have to look at their brand values because you don't want to work with another brand that's really not going to feel like a good fit. Are you doing that now? Are you reaching out to brands and saying, hey, do you want to partner on a licensing deal or are they coming to you now more so at this point? I would say both. And right now, I'm much more careful. In the beginning, I was like, oh, this is great. I get another licensing agreement. I have had really successful collaborations and I've had some that are really not successful and there are a lot of reasons for that. I think one thing you have to really be intentional about is to make sure you know what your goals are going into the agreement and understand what it's going to take to support that because the time commitment and the marketing commitment on your side is going to be really necessary to make that valuable and to make it successful. 
that marketing commitment on your side was where I kind of wanted to go with a question here that I had. Who takes care of all the expenses for that marketing? Is that solely on you or does your partnership with who you license, do they help out? The answer is it depends. It depends on the agreement that you come up with. Most of the time, the licensor, the person that you're working with, the other company, takes on the expense of the marketing that doesn't mean that you just get to collect a check and, you know, post it on Instagram every once in a while. <laughs> Sorry. Would you look for a company that you want to collab with right along the lines of your aesthetic? When you talk about a licensing deal, do you actually talk about budget for the marketing expenses or do you just kind of let them go with whatever they want? How nitty gritty do you need to dive into this and say, OK, I want X, Y and Z or we have no deal? <laughs> Ooh, playing hardball. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really important to at least lay out what both parties' expectations are to make sure that there is going to be a commitment on both sides to do marketing. And that may mean just sweat equity on my side. It's Mm -hmm. time and energy required to support that license. It may not be monetary, but it takes more time than you probably think that it does. Yeah. And I like to lay out specifically, okay, what's the timeline for the marketing? When do we start doing sneak peeks? When do we put it on Instagram? Who posts what? What kind of additional marketing is there going to be? Who does what when? So that way, everybody's expectations are out on the table and there are no surprises because I have been involved in marketing, well, lack of marketing in an agreement where, you know, the other party just was not committed to doing the amount of marketing. Or early on, I did some licensing agreements where I really, in hindsight, wasn't committed to do the amount of marketing to support that. It's a ton of work. I always tell clients when they come to us at Wingnut Social, some people think that it's just throwing up a picture and writing a few words. How hard can it be? But it's really a full-time job to market it, to get everything together and do the analytics, the hashtags, the geotagging, writing the captions, such a way to get engagement. It's crazy amount of work. You did mention that you had some good experiences, some really successful experiences, and some experiences that were less than successful. So let's help the listeners learn a little bit from your mistakes. What, if they get a licensing deal in front of them, or if they have an offer coming their way, what are some deal breakers, and what would you recommend that they steer clear of? Well, again, I think the person trying to get the licensing agreement needs to be really clear on what their goals are. If it's something where you're just going to increase your audience, that's great. It may not add to your bottom line. As long as you understand that, there are times when that's really, you know, a positive experience. Just for the relationship and the connection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all need to grow our brands, and that is a way to do it. If you're not going to make a million dollars on it, don't lose heart. There's still a payoff. It just might be a, a stepping stone to something bigger. Right. And depending where you are in your design business, If you need to really kind of enhance your brand, expand your brand, that might be a really good thing for you to do. If you're just looking for passive income instead of brand building, make sure that that is what's really going to happen. What are the different targets? Like say if I'm in the audience and I'm a designer and I do just want to do brand building and I'm okay with not making a million dollars. Is there a different in the type of product that we look for to do the licensing with? Is it more furniture? Is the moneymaker? Is it more vases and pillows or the brand building? Do you have any advice in that regard? I think 
one of the biggest things for designers to understand is it's not going to make a million dollars. <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek. Okay, we'll say half a million, half a million. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> it can be something that brings in another consistent income. You can't really count on it like you can your own business because you aren't fully in control. Okay. So think of it as a supplemental kind of form of income. Definitely supplemental. And there's some other fantastic side effects that go along with it, like aligning with another brand. I think one of the best things to do is to look at adjacent industries too. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a furniture company or a rug company, although that might be a great fit for you. What about a lifestyle blog or a lifestyle brand who already has your audience's attention. So that might be somebody that you could collaborate with and maybe you come up with something that you can both offer and that expands your audience and solidifies you a little bit more as an expert. Like product or artwork or design of some sort and then that influencer says, oh, I got it from Victoria Larson. Right. Okay. What products have you personally found tend to do better, tend to have more legs with designing. If, say, you want to design things for the love and the art of it, and that's all well and good, and I totally respect that, but what have you found, what genre of product, I should say, have been a little bit more successful financially for you? One of the best licensing agreements that I is actually still current, I'm working with Stout Textiles, and we're doing our second fabric launch. Last year was their first year bringing on their own in-house brand actually doing production. Oh, cool. So you're in on the ground floor. I was so thrilled to make that relationship and be that person for them because in that case, I was the production expert. They did not have any experience in actually producing goods. Wow. All that book learning paid off. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Read your books. Reading is fundamental. Do, 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 do. The more you know. <laughs> right. So you do have your second licensing deal right now. And that is going to be the textiles. So that's what I find to be the most common licensing from the guests that we've had on our show is a form of fabric or wallpaper, et cetera. You find that that seems to be the most prolific category? I think that probably, as far as I know, I would say surface design, which can be textiles, it can be wallpaper, it can be tile, for instance. I did an agreement with licensing with clay tile for a little bit. And, you know, that was super fun to see my designs translated onto cement tiles. So, Victoria, is there anything that I forgot to ask you or anything that you think you need to add for the listeners with regards to marketing or, and getting a licensing deal before we get into the what up wingnut round? I think one thing that people need to keep in mind is you have to be careful not to cannibalize your own brand, right? So, you can't have this licensing agreement and go all in on their brand and then forget about your own. So my hand is very evident in the Stout collection, but it's a different offering than mine. And they do coordinate, which is handy for both of us. But why is that important? Well, we both sell through the trade, but to different channels. And so I don't want to confuse my customers and make my sales channels mad. That makes 100% sense. It wouldn't even have occurred to me. Victoria Larson, are you ready for the What Up Wingnut round? I am so ready. Now it's time for What Up Wingnut. Wingnut. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be and why? I would be a magnolia because they are 
They represent in the South perseverance and strength. And, you know, you've heard that term, steel magnolia. That is about strong Southern women. And you definitely are a strong Southern woman. I think that's a terrific choice. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? I was going to go with Mama Tried because it just works. I would say, if it makes you smile, you're doing it right. There you go. Long one. Another long one, but very, very, very good. (laughs) If you could have only one superpower, what would it be and why? Read people's minds. Really? That would scare the hell out of me. Why? (laughs) I mean, wouldn't that be great? It would cut out a lot of unnecessary conversation. I mean, (laughs) you'd already know the answer. I guess it would make you a terrific marketer, a terrific salesperson for sure. (laughs) If you can turn it on and turn it off, I would do that because I wouldn't want to walk into a room and be thinking, oh my God, what is she doing with her hair or something like that? (laughs) 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 What is she wearing? I don't want to hear any of that. I kind of assume people are saying that anyway. So, (laughs) Last but not least, please recommend a book that has had a profound effect on you either personally or professionally. So I actually just picked this up again recently. It's called Home. And it's by Witold Rybczynski, and it is a short history of the evolution of the whole idea of home and comfort, and how comfort is an invention, and it's relatively new. So it's great to understand how history has affected that. Okay, now I have to ask you to say the author again on that. <laughs> I might be butchering his name. It's Witold Rybczynski. Common spelling. Okay, we'll take your word for it. That's home. We can all look for that on Audible or Google or Apple or whatever the hell you're listening to that on. Victoria, please tell the listeners where they can go and find all about you, all about your new licensing deals and about your product line too. I am on Instagram at Victoria Larson Textiles. And my website is victoria-larson.com. Awesome. Victoria, thank you for joining us today. You have an amazing week. You too. Natalie and Giraffe. Yes, Jethro. I don't sell a product. I create relationships. Spoken like a true marketer. That is her background. But you did smart, pay attention, right, Darla? I'm just making sure. A smart marketer. Man, she nailed it. She nailed it with the whole Instagram and the whole trend of going to the nano-influencers, the micro-influencers, as opposed to the big, huge, humongous. You don't have to be, um, we've said it before and we're saying it again, and Victoria confirmed it. You don't have to be uber-famous to get a licensing deal. You have to resonate. You have to have the conversations. And you have to have the time. I mean, the time that she says that's put into it, yeah, it it may just be sweat equity, but she did give us a lot of little tips. You know, lay it out there what you Mm -hmm. want, who does what and when do they do it. And that's, I don't think you can go wrong, man. There is a certain way that you do market depending on your end goal. There's a way that you market on your social media or, or on the interwebs, on the Googles. If you want more clients, there's a way that you market if you want brand collaborations, there's a way that you market if you want to be on HGTV, and there's a way to market if you want all of that. So when you say sweat equity, yeah, we're sweating and we're doing it, but what's Victoria's hourly rate? I wonder, I'm sure it's not $20 an hour. I'm sure it's not 40 or 50 bucks an hour. So you have to think about the time that you're putting in to do that marketing if it's worth delegating, which is something that we do here at Wingnut Social, shameless plug. But even if you're delegating it out to someone, I was going to say an intern, but you really want to delegate it to somebody who really knows social marketing marketing and social theory, which you know she has her degree in it. Hello, she's very qualified. There you go. So guys, be sure to follow Victoria Larson on her social channels. Go over to Stout Brothers and see what she has cooking up or go to her website. Her work is gorgeous. 
So if you're an interior designer and you want to have some very curated, interesting things for your project, you cannot go wrong going in either direction or both. Nat, you got anything else for today's show? If you want to check us out, we are at Wingnut Social on all social media channels. If you have any questions, shoot us an email, info at wingnutsocial.com. And I think that's it for today. All right, Nat, that's it. So long. See ya. You've reached the end of this episode of Wingnut Social, but that's only the first step into accelerating your business the Wingnut way. Head over to wingnutsocial.com or call us at 1-877-WINGNUT to see how we can help you take your business from social mediocre to social media master. We'll see you on the next episode of Wingnut Social, your social media tightly fastened. Nat, you got anything else for today's show? Nope. You're not going to tell them where to find us? Oh. Well, today we're talking all about how to go fart. That was so good. You almost hate it. You almost hate it. Good boy, Mango.